Welcome to Teacher in Sign Podcast. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. If you've listened to this podcast on a regular basis, you've probably heard me talk about or mention in the past couple of years that I started seeing the number 1111 on my phone. Uh, it could be on my phone or the clock at home or in the car and that I was seeing this on a frequent basis. It seemed like every time I looked at the clock, it was 1111. I don't know if you've ever experienced that yourself. I recognize that psychologists would generally agree that this is likely a case of uh, what they call apophenia. Uh, and it's a human tendency to find meaning or patterns in randomly occurring data. Now, the more conscious you are of something, basically the more you'll notice it when you're looking around. I have experienced the effects of this. Uh, from time to time in my life, you may have experienced it as well. For example, if you buy a, a different kind of car than you've ever bought before, you probably never noticed it before. And once you buy this new car, suddenly you start noticing it everywhere. Okay, so that would be a form of this phenomenon. Uh, I have had that experience, and generally speaking, it lasts for a short period of time. There's usually a reason for it where your attention is drawn to something in particular, then you start noticing it more often. Now, the effects of this is generally short term, like I said, uh, usually it comes and then it goes, but this has been going on for a good couple of years now. And as I have previously stated, I'm not into numerology and I don't typically look for signs and yet the phenomenon persisted in a chronic fashion until I just had to ask God, like, what is it with this 1111? And at that very moment, I heard the Spirit of God say, Isaiah. So, I want to explore this with you a bit uh, because I haven't taken the time to really lay out this topic on the podcast. And I know that there are some who have wondered at certain statements that I've made from time to time. So let's turn to Isaiah 11.11. And it says, And it shall come to pass in that day, that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathos and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Now, this isn't usually taught in your Bible stories and ministers and preachers on TV and radio will almost never mention this vital part of Israel's history, when God himself divided the nation into two separate nations. They remain that way even to this day. The nation in the north, which was called Israel, and the nation in the south, which was called Judah. And thereafter, all the prophets that came during that time and after, which most of them did, will refer to those two separate kingdoms. Most people are not aware of that. When they are speaking to Israel and prophesying to them or calling them to repentance, they're talking about the northern tribes, which were led by Ephraim. And when they prophesy to Judah, they're talking about the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judea, which was principally comprised of the Jews. 
So let me ask you this question. Where did the Lost Tribes go? And where are they today? Biblical and Book of Mormon prophecy says that God will recover and gather them. So how does that happen? What does that look like? In the RLDS tradition, there were some weird theories floated by some men and some books that were written and published, which interpreted prophetic language in a very literal way, not understanding that prophetic language is largely symbolic and can only be understood by the spirit of prophecy. Second Nephi says, Wherefore hearken, O my people, which are the house of Israel, and give ear unto my words. For because the words of Isaiah are not plain unto you, nevertheless they are plain unto all those who are filled with the spirit of prophecy. In Anama it reads, But this is not all. They have given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Therefore they have the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with power and authority, even as with the power and authority of God. Because most men who try to interpret prophecy do not actually have the spirit of prophecy, they see passages in the Bible about a highway being cast up, for example, and God bringing the lost tribes out from, quote, the North Country, on this highway, in a very literal sense, thereby conjuring up strange ideas, perhaps about a hollow earth, and the lost tribes coming up out of some hidden underground civilization in the Arctic. But the truth is much less mythologically grandiose than that. And a proper interpretation of these scriptures also makes it make much more sense. Now, I had the same problem when I first began to have spiritual gifts in my life. One of those spiritual gifts was the gift of dreams. The Lord would speak to me in dreams many a times. And I made the fundamental human mistake of trying to interpret those dreams in a very literal sense. Uh, and then I soon began to realize that they were symbolic. Dream imagery and even prophetic language is very symbolic, very metaphoric. And one of the reasons for that is that you must understand it by the gift of prophecy and by a gift of understanding, just like tongues needs interpretation of tongues. So that things can be hidden from the wicked, they can be hidden from Satan himself. And only those who are guided by the Holy Spirit can begin to gain a proper understanding of what is going to take place. Just one example of how prophetic language is oftentimes very symbolic, is that we have a dragon, for example, in the book of Revelation. Now, the dragon is not actually a literal dragon, but it is symbolic of Satan. Now, the restoration of the lost tribes of Israel is one of the most prophesied events in the Bible, second only to the coming of Jesus. There are many passages regarding this restoration of Israel, and we must look at all of those passages in order to get a complete picture of this event. The Book of Mormon also devotes a considerable portion of text to it. The North Country the prophets spoke of is simply a reference to the Northern countries, or in other words, the nations, which were geographically speaking, situated north of Israel. 
These are the lands in which Assyria carried away their captives. You see, it was the practice of Assyria that when they defeated a nation, they carried their people away and scattered them among all the other nations that they had previously defeated. And the purpose of this was so that those people could never again come together and rise up against them. They were forever defeated because they would cease to be a people. And so when we look in, for example, Jeremiah 31 verses 8 and 9, he prophesies, Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping and with supplications and I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. I explored this topic in my first book, The Destiny of Ephraim and the Restoration of the House of Israel. And the understanding I came to with the help of the spirit of prophecy is that the lost tribes of Israel, after they were scattered throughout the northern countries, eventually began to migrate and they traveled throughout much of Europe. In fact, there is considerable evidence and signs of their passage. There are even certain places in Europe that were named by these ancient Israelites. But they didn't stop there. They even went on ships, and the scriptures say, even to the Isles of the Sea, of which the Nephites counted themselves a part of that prophecy. Where the lost tribes went may be a mystery to man, they call them the lost tribes after all and in fact you hardly ever hear a peep about it anymore at one time it used to be of great interest to people but because we can't figure out how to fit it into our end times theology biblically um, protestants and evangelicals they don't know what to do with that so they generally don't even touch that topic but it is no mystery to god and his prophets who plainly tell us in the scriptures that God himself has led them, that he himself caused them to be scattered, and that he scattered them to the four quarters of the earth. If you read the prophecies, you see that he knows exactly where they are. He says that directly through his prophets. I know exactly where I have led them. Now, you may be familiar with some of these scriptures already. Ultimately, God tells us that he would sift them among all the Gentile nations. Amos 9.9 9. And I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. As we see that the nation of Israel, God knows exactly the way they are. He knows who is his. Now, this is specifically regarding Israel in this particular prophecy, not the Jews. But in the final analysis, Judah will also suffer a similar fate. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel were the first to be scattered. They will be the last to be restored. While the Jews were the last to be scattered. And they will be the first gathered once more. And here we have it. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. But getting back to Isaiah 11.11, 11, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day, 
that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the Isles of the Sea. Now we can easily get hung up over these ancient names of various nations listed, but on the most basic level, understand that the point here is that the seed of ancient Israel is among many nations, even islands. In fact, Amos tells us they will be among all nations. Verse 12 of Isaiah goes on to say, And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Again, we see in Isaiah two separate prophecies, very similar. He's going to do the same for both, but these are two separate peoples. He's going to assemble the outcasts of Israel, in other words, the lost tribes that were carried off and never heard from again. And he is also going to gather the dispersed of Judah. We're already seeing that take place, has been taking place for decades now. What I'm about to share is definitely a mystery. Not everyone is going to agree with what I share, and that's perfectly fine. But it is my testimony that the following understanding was revealed to me back in 2007. That the bloodlines of ancient Israel, the DNA of the lost ten tribes, are to be found not only among a number of indigenous people, including the seed of Lehi, but also among many Europeans. Like it or not, this is in agreement with what the prophets tell us about where they have gone. The sin of the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, was idolatry. And after they were dispersed by Assyria among Gentile nations, this didn't change. They would have come to adopt the customs and the religions of the people they lived among. They would also come to intermingle in marriage with the Gentiles around them. In time, their children's children would have no memory of their Hebrew origin. They became, effectively, Gentiles. Now, I have said before, even as Paul has said, that we see only in part, and that we are on a need-to-know basis with God, and we do not always see all things or the, the full comprehension of them. We know what we need to know at that time that God gives us, and then he will give us more when needed. And so the view or the understanding of the Nephites was that those who would eventually be led to this promised land, scatter their seed and build up a powerful nation, and would be a part of bringing forth the Book of Mormon, that these were Gentiles. And this is technically correct. You see, God counts our ancestors as Gentiles, and he continues to count us as Gentiles still until we repent and make a covenant with him. Now, this is very much different from joining an institutional church or declaring yourself to be Latter-day Israel. The Book of Mormon reveals that if the Gentiles do not repent, they will be eventually wiped from this land. The Nephites were also told that if the Gentiles do repent, and if they make a true covenant with Christ, in other words, they experience that mighty change of heart and are born again, that they shall be numbered among the house of Israel. 
That's 1 Nephi 3, verse 202 in the RLDS, or 1 Nephi 14.2 in the LDS. What the Nephites probably could not understand or know at this time is that embedded within the genetics of those Gentiles are some of the ancient Israelite bloodlines, the bloodlines of the northern tribes. By 1830, the saints appeared to be aware of this idea that some of them may have ancestry from the tribe of Ephraim. I believe there is a truth in this, but according to one revelation, they were only counted as Ephraim as long as they were obedient to God. Chapter 65 of the Book of Commandments printed in 1833 which is now section 64 of the Doctrine and Covenants in both RLDS and LDS, is a revelation given to Joseph Smith that is September 11th, 1831, at Kirtland, Ohio. And it states, quote, The rebellious shall be cut off out of the land of Zion, and shall be sent away, and shall not inherit the land, for verily I say that the rebellious are not of the blood of Ephraim, wherefore they shall be plucked out. Now this is an actual revelation that came true. And literally this took place a few years later. The saints would be run out of the land of Zion. They would be plucked out. They would be removed. The history is that while they were in the act of actually printing copies of the Book of Commandments in Independence, Missouri, that when the printing press was destroyed by a mob, later when the saints returned, they found lying in the streets the broken pieces of the press, and that the last words that were set for print before the mob came were these very words in this revelation. Joseph and others at Kirtland thought that the cause for this disaster was rebellion from some in Missouri against him and the church authorities at Kirtland. And for a time, I also believe this to be the case. In fact, I think I wrote something to that effect in my book. Until I looked into it further. You see, Joseph Smith and a large camp of people from Kirtland, Ohio, marched to Zion to redeem it. And it was dubbed Zion's Camp. And they included about 200 armed men. And on this march to Missouri, much of the camp became ill with cholera and 14 of the men died, and the expedition was a failure, ultimately. And looking at these facts, of which the church history tends to obscure and not want to talk about, it seems to indicate that what happened was not just the fault of the saints in Missouri, but seems to be evidence that the whole church itself had strayed from God. Joseph Smith encountered increasing hostility when he returned to Kirtland, and it would not be very much longer before he and others were run out of Ohio as well. And then, in spite of the Missouri legislature approving a compromise which set aside the new Caldwell County specifically for the church to settle in in 1836, just two years later, the Missourians drove the Mormons across the Mississippi into Illinois. And so the whole church was driven out of Missouri altogether, and so Zion would not be redeemed not even by the prophet and those who were loyal to him, in spite of revelations given to this effect. So what does this say about the spiritual condition of the church at this point? 
Isaiah 11.11 speaks of God setting his hand a second time to recover his people Israel. Let me ask a question. When was the first attempt, historically speaking? On a very high level, without getting into too much detail, the northern ten tribes of the kingdom of Israel were carried away, never to return. And they became known as the Lost Ten Tribes. And many books have been written about this. When did God ever attempt a recovery? According to the testimony of Joseph Smith and later on Oliver Cowdery, after Joseph Smith had seen the plates, but before he was allowed to take them, he was warned by the angel repeatedly that he should put out of his mind any thought of using the plates to get gain, you know, seeing that his family was very poor, and that this record was to fulfill certain promises previously made to a branch of the house of Israel, of the tribe of Joseph, and when it should be brought forth, the plates, it must be done expressly with an eye single to the glory of God and the welfare and restoration of the house of Israel. I don't think Mormonism has ever emphasized this, but the coming forth of the Book of Mormon was to be a herald of the restoration of the house of Israel. The only restoration of which either Moroni or God himself even ever spoke of originally. For six years, there was no talk of a restoration of priesthood, no talk of a restoration of the church. No, in fact, actually, the church already existed, and God promised that if they would continue in obedience, he would begin to bring it out of the wilderness. It already exists. It was all those who listened to his voice and obeyed. But he was promising to bring it out of the wilderness. And in one revelation early on, given through the Urim and Thummim, God promises not a restoration of the church, but a reformation. That paragraph was stricken from the Book of Commandments and was changed. But that was the original promise. The only time God used the word restoration in the beginning of the what we now call the restoration was in regards to Israel. And we have surely lost sight of that because it became about us. It became about us Gentiles building a Gentile church. You see, the early saints were instructed that they were to take the knowledge contained in this record and take it to the seat of Lehi as part of the fulfillment of God's covenant with them. His desire was to restore them. And we failed in this endeavor. We got distracted and we got caught up in other endeavors. The Book of Mormon itself reveals that a restoration of the seed of Lehi to a knowledge of the covenants of God that he had made to their fathers was key to Zion. For it is said in the Book of Mormon that it is the seed of Lehi specifically who is to build the new Jerusalem on this continent. Read it for yourself. And if only if we would repent of our own ways, then we Gentiles would be numbered among the seed of Lehi and numbered among the house of Israel. And then, and only then, could we assist them with the building up of the new Jerusalem. So what this tells me is that the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and the command that God gave to us 
to repent and also go to the seat of Lehi, that we might be numbered among them was God's first attempt to set his hand to recover Israel. We are now entering into the time of Isaiah 11.11. I am convinced of it. The Holy Spirit is pressing this point with me. Even as I was preparing my notes for this episode, I made a concerted effort not to look at any clocks, especially any time it got close to 11 o'clock. But even as I got up from my desk the other day while in the office, the Holy Spirit began speaking to my heart and speaking into my mind about Isaiah 11:11. And as I walked past a conference room, one that had a large screen mounted on the wall, the screen suddenly switched on, even though there was nobody in that room. And on that very large screen, in a very large font, the screen displayed the time, 11:11. I cannot get away from it. God is setting his hand a second time to recover his people Israel. He is not only beginning to work with the seed of Lehi, but he is also calling the Gentiles to repent and come out of the ways and the traditions of the institutional church so that we may learn who he really is and truly come unto him according to his gospel and his doctrine as outlined in the New Testament and in 3 Nephi. And as the Bible bears witness, the lost tribes are now found among all the Gentile nations. That's what the prophet said. And so how will he restore them if they are being sifted among all the Gentile nations and are found among all the Gentile nations? And he's going to gather them out from all the Gentile nations. How is it that he will do this and how will he restore them? How does Israel become Israel again. The Book of Mormon says that if the Gentiles repent, they will be counted as part of the house of Israel. Recently, my attention was drawn to another 1111. I was specifically told to turn to John 1111, and what a delightful surprise that was. He, meaning Jesus, said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps but I go that I may wake him up. Like Lazarus, many of the saints have fallen asleep. Jesus is now waking us up. The word that many use when they come to the realization of the awful condition they find themselves in, having been lost in the traditions of men and the institutional churches, the word they use is an awakening. The recent documentary, about how Jesus is drawing Native Americans to himself is called Awakened. We have become the lowest of the low, but the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years before reaching their promised land. Now is our time, time for the first Americans to step into our spiritual destiny. This one, this last one, is going to include us. Uh, and we're going to lead because we're ordained to lead this last great awakening. Amen. But you have to make a choice. We are the product of our choices. And I choose tonight to say, I am going to move forward. Amen. I'm hearing the Father's heart. I want to share what he shares with me because he's going to share with each one of you. 
and we're going to go forward as one. One voice, one heart. This is the great awakening that we've been waiting for. We've got to grab a hold of it. Not time to step back. It's not time to be afraid. It's time to move forward. Christ died for the red or the brown man as well as the white or the black or the yellow man. Hebrew people, the Jewish people were put on reservations. And today the American Indians are still on reservations. And I believe what we've seen in the book of Exodus is going to take place right before our eyes here in America. He has reserved us all these years for I believe the end time move of God that we're going to see. And so I believe there's a great awakening taking place now. And I see in the horizon a great storm of revival taking place. And it's gone. He's opening doors. A new thing is coming. A new wave is coming. God is getting ready to do something very powerful in America. God's getting ready to move. A, 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 a powerful, powerful move like we have never, ever seen before. God is working among your people. We have taken the last place of the lost and the least in this nation. The last to be breaking into higher education on our reservations, suicides off the charts, addiction, alcoholism, even poverty off the charts. But there is a grace, an undeserved favor that is attracted to the last lost and least in now. The First Nations people have been given a message, have awakened to righteousness, the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ as a gift. now turn my face to the host people of the land for blood cries from the ground now is our time people now is our time it is Kairos time for us and I am seizing that moment I am seizing this time to sound the alarm the voice that comes from the southwest brothers and sisters this is our time that we need to arise and shine for Jesus Christ, for the one that saved us, the one that saved us by His grace. This is not an impossible dream. When members of the LDS Church tell their testimony of coming out of dead religion to Christ, they say things like, I awakened in 2020. And so here we are looking at John 11, 11, and Jesus says, He has fallen asleep, but I go that I may wake him up. I submit to you that Jesus right now is trying to wake us up. All we have to do is heed his words. And listen to his call, even as he spoke to Lazarus and said, Come forth. God began his work in these latter days with the translation of the Nephite record. And those plates heralded a great and marvelous work where God would fulfill all of his covenants to Israel and restore those tribes that were once thought to be lost. The Gentiles, if they would repent and be obedient to his voice, could be a part of this work, but they became distracted and fell into error. 
and failing in the things that they were called to, they even tried to build Zion without the seed of Lehi, which ended in disaster. God, having foreseen all of this, caused Isaiah to write that he would set his hand a second time to recover his people and set up an ensign for the nations. So this is very much connected to the establishment of Zion. Since the Gentile church has failed in the mission that the Lord gave them, he is now beginning that work himself. And he is calling those whom he counts as his out of the ways of error, and he is calling them to gather to himself. You see, the gathering in these last days must begin by gathering to Christ. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. John 10:16. This fold is not an earthly institution. It's not an earthly organization. It's not a corporation. It is a body of believers and all those who hear his voice and obey. They are the church of Christ that is to be purified in these last days so that they may arise and walk in the powers of heaven. This spiritual church must be presided over by Christ himself, according to the direction of the Holy Spirit, rather than any man. And this is not to say that there will not be servants of God working according to his direction, but they will not be the head of the church. Christ alone is the head. His servants must point to Christ alone and lift him up as the source of our salvation, the source of all life and revelation light. Soon the eyes of all those who are drawn to the doings of the Lord will begin to turn more and more to the Kansas City area. The move some have called the Kansas City Prophets, which happened decades ago among charismatics, was a true move of God though men stepped in and tried to take hold of the wheel, as they often do, to steer it. And because of this, like most movements, it began to fizzle out. But out of that movement, many things got birthed, including IHOP, or the International House of Prayer, which is located in Kansas City, and is headed by Mike Bickle. Mike is an interesting character. Uh, he is no stranger at all to finding himself in the midst of something that the Lord is doing. And he both does the will of the Lord while simultaneously opposing it at times, not fully understanding the greater picture. Like any man, he has weaknesses. And Mike certainly has his ideas about how things should be done, which is a common problem that God has to deal with with most of us, and I would not exclude myself from this inclination. It is only human after all, but the natural man is an enemy to God. And so this is why we must remain ever humble and open, open not only to correction, but to new understanding. This year, Mike Bickle got a word from the Lord about blessing Israel. And so as a Gentile himself, his words, the idea that was brought to him was that he was to call upon five million Gentiles to pray for Israel for one hour a day for 21 days. Their website, 
IHOPKC.org states the following, The International House of Prayer is committed to seeing the nation of Israel walking in their full destiny at the end of the age. Just before getting ready to record this episode of the podcast, I happened across a recently streamed church service where Mike admitted that he didn't fully understand what God was up to in this. His assumption is exactly as you would imagine. He thinks they are praying for the Jews over in the modern nation state of Israel in the Middle East. And indeed, in the final picture of the kingdom, the Jews will be a part of Israel. But since the time of the divided kingdom, with Judah in the south and Israel in the north, when they were separated, the latter-day prophecies regarding the tribes reveals that God treats them as separate people. That each one has their own sins, and each has their own repentance that they need to do. That each one of them have their own special needs, and that he is going to handle each of these two nations separately on his own terms, based on what he needs to do in order to restore them. This prayer effort begun at IHOPKC is being accomplished by many churches and groups around the world, Christians joining together to accomplish this directive. I think at the last update that I saw that there was something like 20 million Gentiles now praying for Israel for an hour every day. And Mike Bickle is a little bit of astonished at this. And he kept saying what an amazing thing it is that there are so many Gentiles, that's the words he used, that there are so many Gentiles praying for Israel that never in history before have so many Gentiles prayed for Israel. And I realize that Mike doesn't even understand what he's actually saying here. And it is marvelous. You see, for most Christians, when you say the word Israel, they think about the Jews. And the Jews are part of the overall greater house of Israel that in the last days will fully come back together. They are one tribe out of 12 or 13, depending on how you look at it. And it is important that we pray for the Jews. But who is praying for the restoration of the lost tribes of Israel? We're praying for one, but do we pray for the others? When God himself divided the nation of Israel into two, and those two parts were Israel in the north, and they were called Israel because Ephraim and Manasseh were allowed to inherit the name Israel, which was their birthright and even a part of their blessing. And so that leaves Judah in the south, which became known as the kingdom of Judah or Judea. But ever since that division, the dividing of the nation into two separate nations, what you will see is that almost every prophecy can be divided into prophecy regarding Israel or prophecies that are directed at Judah in the south. And once your eyes are open to this in the Bible, you will see it and it will change everything. As Mike Bickle repeated several times that he didn't fully comprehend the extent of what God was truly doing here, that he felt there was something much deeper and more profound that, that he could put his finger on. He said that he felt like God was about to change the trajectory of human history. That's a fairly profound statement. And then he stated that recently their leadership team was contemplating the fuller impact of this undertaking and they were praying together in order to gain a better understanding when someone on that leadership team 
prophesied by the Spirit. And here's what was prophesied. God is about to reveal who IHOP is to IHOP. What a curious statement. So let's take a moment and consider the following. God says that those who bless Israel will be blessed by God. And Judah has been gathered already, at least physically. But they have yet to gather to Christ, spiritually. Israel, on the other hand, the ten lost tribes, is what, according to the scriptures, among all the Gentile nations of the earth. But God says that he would gather them here to this land of promise. So what nation in the world has seen people immigrate to it from every nation? The United States. The great melting pot. The place where people come from all over the world. Is that not a gathering? If the seed of ancient Israel is among all Gentile nations and God is going to gather them here to restore them, then when we look at the history of immigration in the United States of America, we should begin to see it in a whole new way. So here we have 20 million Gentiles praying for Israel at the direction of the Lord and not fully understanding why they do it anyway in obedience. And they also do it selflessly, thinking that they are praying for the Jews. Well, in many ways they are. But consider for a moment that within their own bloodlines, many of these same Gentiles carry ancient Israel in their very DNA. It has to be. That's what the scriptures indicate. Where are they? They're not in some underground chamber somewhere going to pop out in the Arctic. God tells us that he scattered them among all Gentile nations, even to the Isles of the Sea, and that he will gather them again. So where should we expect the lost tribes to come from, except out of every nation? God has promised that he will gather again and restore the lost tribes. And here they are, unwittingly praying for Israel to fulfill their destiny in these last days. Asking for understanding about what this would mean, they then get a word from the Lord that he is going to reveal to IHOP who IHOP is, meaning IHOP doesn't even know who they are. Could it be that like the Lamanites, they are part of ancient Israel and don't even know it, that the Gentile part of them submitting itself to God is praying for the seed of Israel which they do not even understand, is within them. As the Book of Mormon tells us, if the Gentiles repent, they will then be numbered among the house of Israel. This land is a place of the gathering of the ten tribes of Israel. The land of ancient Judah is the place of the gathering of the Jews, each with a great destiny before them, each on the precipice of a mystery being unfolded, each waiting to discover their true identity in Christ, and each headed for a restoration. And if I haven't completely offended you, I hope you will join us next time. 
And until then, God bless. Bye.